passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome to another episode of Thunderstruck, our look back at the career of Jishin Thunderliger, uh, as told by myself, W.H. Park, and uh, each and every unique standalone guest on this show, uh, who are the people who end up picking up picking these matches that we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about uh, the greatest matches of Jishin Thunderliger's career, the most kind of uh, his- historical, I guess, noteworthy matches of his career as well. Uh, and this might this might fall into that latter category. Uh, it is uh, an episode that I- I've been very excited to do because I'm my guest today. I'm very excited. He is uh, a very, very uh, prolific podcaster talking about pro wrestling, talking about uh, television shows, comic books, uh, politics, and uh, quote-unquote real sports. He is a pillar here at postwrestling.com, but it's my first time ever talking to him. He is Nate Milton. Nate, how are you, sir? It's like thunder all through the night. Promised to see Jesus in the morning light. They said, take my hand. It'll be all right. Come on, save your soul tonight. What is going on, WH Park? It is good. To finally be talking to you, my brother. Wow, that's awesome. Like, I think you're the first person to ever do, like, a, a sermon on this show or anything I've ever done. So, like, already, this is the greatest episode I have I mean, you get Jushin Thunder Liger, put it together with some prints, and, and, and it's a wonderful evening. <laughs> if only WCW did that instead of the generic, quote-unquote, oriental music that they would use for all their Japanese talent. <laughs> Oh man, yes, but yeah, this you're you're right. The WH this is the first time we've ever had the 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 chance to speak to each other, not just in podcasts, but 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 in life, in in actual vocal form, and not just through text on the internet, man. So uh, thank you for the invitation, man. I, I've been waiting for this for a while. I think you're like the last person on my bucket list, at least as far as like post wrestling goes. <laughs> you know? It's like okay, talk to John multiple times, talk to Way. Multiple times, Braden, Davey, who who else is left? Martin Bushby at BWE, <laughs> Benno, Jamesy. Who else is Nate Milton? Jesus, I got to talk to Nate Milton. Oh my god! Okay, you gotta type get get your contact info from Way because I didn't have your contact info. And then yeah, it's like great, you you agreed, and here we are. I'm I'm very very excited because I think we could talk about not only Jushin Thunder Liger, but we share a lot of hobbies. Like I'm a big comic book fan. I'm a big like movie fan. I love Star Wars, all that stuff. But also our shared interest in the in the wild world of professional wrestling, Nate. Yeah, so you you finally filled out your post wrestling bingo card. Uh, you, you punched out all the holes, and I think now that means John Pollock owes you a free sandwich. 
the, uh, I'll take the uh, a Reuben on a toast, <laughs> toasted, please, and uh, a big two pickles, please, dill. <laughs> you know, and people who don't like dill pickles, you're all crazy. I'm just going to tell you that right now. Okay, so there you go. But uh, you are a very prolific podcaster, as I said. Let's talk about we'll get we'll get the plugs at the at the end of the show. But I do want people to know your background as a podcaster. Like you talk about professional wrestling, you talk about movies and everything. But let let people know where what is the the world of Nate Milton like? Uh, well, the world of Nate Milton. Brother Park is is a wondrous world filled with podcasts and and football broadcasts and radio shows and and it feels like if I'm not asleep or eating there's a microphone in front of my face which could be a good thing or a bad thing depending on your perspective on life but uh, yeah I, I I've been broadcasting for over 20 years uh, started in Newport News Virginia calling high school football games something I still do to this day. Uh, and then, you know, that experience led me to podcasting, which uh, kind of launched the Kings of Sport podcast featuring myself and Marcus Vandenberg. Uh, and, and, you know, the relationship with John Pollock and Wei Ting, who, as you know, are, are jam up guys, as Bret Hart would say, uh, you know, the relationship with them from pre-post and now uh, on post wrestling doing the Rocky Maivia picture show. It's, it's been a fun ride. Uh, it's something I didn't expect to do quite frankly, is get into podcasting, but uh, I, I'm glad that I did, and I probably wish I would have gotten in earlier, man, because it's it's fun. It, it's time-consuming, and scheduling guests, as you know, can be a pain in the butt sometimes, but being able to talk with interesting people about sports or movies or pro wrestling, it, it, it's really fun and interesting getting different opinions from people, and uh, you know, at the end of the day, that's what it's all about, because like we all even though we have differences, we all can share in these things involving sports and pop culture. And I think that's what the best podcast can do is they can kind of create community. You know, I have to say, you know, like what one thing I really love about the work that you do is that you are a black voice in the world of professional world, professional podcasting. You're black. I'm black. <laughs> well, I, according to your Skype picture, uh, you, you are. but no, like it's like me, a reverse, uh, the reverse Dave Chappelle, black white supremacist. When he found out he was black, <laughs> that's a blind character. That he yeah, did? yeah, he was. He was a blind. He was a blind white supremacist played by Dave Chappelle, who finally found out that he was black, and and he's like, oh no, I've been black this whole time, Jasper. <laughs> that is a great character. Dave Chappelle, a very awesome comedian. But yes. like for me, like I, you know, it is a world like uh, the world of, you know, discourse about professional wrestling is very much dominated by, mm. by, you know, like white voices. I like nothing wrong with that. But it's like for me as an Asian person, like I want to hear people, people's opinions who like more align with my experiences growing up. So for me, talking with way is great. Listening to way mm. is great. So, but also I want to hear the other, the, the other voices that I don't normally hear. I want to hear the experience of you as, as an African American man, like what you think about these things that happen in, in professional wrestling, for example, like, you know, the whole Kofi, you know, title win and, and like his subsequent loss to Brock Lesnar, things like, you know, the recent situation as of this recording with, with Jim Cornette on NWA power, things like that. Those are interesting to me because like, you know, there's one way of looking at it and then there's another way of looking at it. And I want to kind of hear all those different viewpoints. So it's refreshing to hear like you on post wrestling and on your own podcasting network as well. Well, thank you, brother. And it's something that I do kind of take, I don't want to say 
seriously or like it's a responsibility because uh, at the end of the day, we, you know, we just talking. But I do keep that in mind. I, it is something I'm aware of. It's something I'm cognizant of in that there are not a lot of people that look like me on platforms that that speak about wrestling to the fans out there and to the listeners out there. And so it's something I'm very appreciative of to, to John and Wade for allowing me to have a Rocky Mavia picture show and to do the shows that I did with Brian Mann previous to that. And so what I want to do is take advantage of the opportunity and give you guys and girls my perspective on wrestling and my perspective on life, which might be a little bit different than yours. You know, it's, it's not coming from the usual perspective of somebody that that's a white guy. And like you said, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, A lot of great shows out there that are hosted by Caucasian brothers, but I want to expand the tent, you know, and that's one of the things when we started the Nubian wrestling uh, advocates podcast over at the Kings of sport Patreon, that's one of the things I wanted to do. WH is have a place where black voices could get together, where, you know, Latino voices could come on the show in the future. Asian voices come on the show. People from the LGBT community could come on the show. People that don't usually get that platform, don't usually get that that space to speak. I wanted that show to kind of be, you know, just a, a roundtable for different voices. And it's not to say that we're excluding white voices, but it's, it's to say, yeah, these white voices in, in wrestling media and wrestling journalism are great. But that's not the only story. That's not the only perspective. And I think that's one of the best things we can do with podcasts is give somebody that lives a million miles away the perspective of if they were sitting right here next to you. So this is this is a, maybe a first in podcasting. I have Nate Milton, uh, a prominent voice in uh, in you know, the African American community in, in wrestling podcasting. I'm I'm a I was born in South Korea. I grew up in Toronto. I live in Japan now, and we're going to talk about uh, a guy from uh, Cincinnati, Ohio, taking on a mm. guy from Tokyo, uh, wrestling in <laughs> the Mall of America. How how unique is that? Is that ever gonna? Are these stars ever gonna align like this, Nate? I don't know. I don't think so. Right, right there is the beauty of wrestling, that all of these things can come together and enjoy the very same match. So, yeah, this is this is one of the things, man, I loved about WCW back in the day. We'll, we'll, we'll get into this once we talk about the match, WH, but the fact that they had so many different guys, and, and granted, they were usually all undercard guys, <laughs> but they did have so many different guys on the roster that you got a nice mix of styles and 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 personalities and and so yeah this is uh like you said off the top this might not be one of Liger's greatest matches but it certainly to me is one of his most important matches and a match that I still remember very vividly to this day yeah so before we get to the actual match without which I'll let you introduce and give background on let's talk about Jushin Thunder Liger he is you know he's coming up on the last year of his career he's going to retire on uh, January 5th 2020 at the Tokyo Dome that's going to be his last ever match and then he's going to have his retirement ceremony the next day on January 6th at uh, Oda City uh, Gymnasium at uh, New Year's Dash uh, a show that like myself John and Way are lucky to be able to get tickets too so we're going to be uh, excited to watch that and, and I'm, I'm going to try to keep John from talking about Rusev Cook angles uh, during his retirement <laughs> story or something. Uh, he's threatened to do that you know on, uh, on the Rewinder, Rewinder Raw I think so but we'll, we'll, we'll not uh, go too deep into that topic anyways but Nate what does Jushin Thunder Liger mean to you as a wrestling fan? A Jushin Thunder Liger to me is one of the guys that in my opinion broke a barrier 
for North American or Western wrestling fans, I guess. Uh, you know, he's very much in the same vein as somebody like a Conan or a Eddie Guerrero were for Mexican wrestlers. That's how I look at guys like uh, the Great Muda and Jushin Thunder Liger. They were, they were probably, I'd say most of the audience listening, that's either in uh, the United States or Canada, Liger was probably one of the first Japanese wrestlers that you saw on TV. Unless you were somebody that was really big into New Japan or All Japan and you were into the tape trading scene, Liger or Muda was probably the first example of a non-stereotypical Japanese wrestler. Even though Muda did play in the stereotypes a little bit, they, they weren't, you know, the guys carrying salt in their pockets. You know what I mean? Like, these were legitimate athletes and they were presented as such. And so I think they were the gateway. Like, if you dug what Liger was doing, then that would lead you, like, I got to check out what else is going on in Japan. You know, let me read my Pro Wrestling Illustrated magazine and find out uh, if they've got anything in there about other Japanese wrestlers besides Liger that I can get into. So I think Liger is very important. You know, he's, unfortunately, I don't think he's the biggest star, you know, or as big a star as he could have been just because I don't know if North American wrestling companies, even to this day, really know how to market Asian workers to their audience. But I think given the the confines of the time, Liger is certainly, you know, if you ask any wrestling fan over the age of 20 or 25, I don't know, you know, the age ranges of, of your audience, but if you ask anybody over the age of 25, who's your favorite Japanese wrestler? Who's the guy that got you interested in Japanese wrestling? If it's not Muda, chances are it's going to be Liger. Over the age of 25 or, you know, between the ages of 25 and 30, people might say Kenny Omega, and I'd be like, what? <laughs> but, but anyways, uh, one, one thing I, I, I will say, like, when I first saw Liger, it was on, it, believe it or not, it was on WCW television. I was like, who is this guy? For me, really? the, the best the best source of, like, finding out about, like, Japanese stuff was in the pages of Inside Wrestling, which was a Stanley Weston mm. publication, which was in the Aftermag family. Yep. But because they had, this is an awesome aspect of Inside Wrestling was they had the roll call of all the champions across the world. So I'm like, mm. what? All Japan? Who's the PWF Tag Team Champions? Is the Road Warriors? What? Oh, <laughs> who's who's the who's the Triple Crown Champion? Stan Hansen? What? This is where Stan Hansen is. I love that guy. So that for me was like, okay. Then I see names like Fujinami and Choshu mm. and and Muda and Hashimoto, and then later on Masawa, Kawada, Kobashi, all them people. And then it's like, wow. But then I start chain trading, and I'm like, oh my god, I gotta. I recognize these names from Inside Wrestling. I gotta order that one. I'm gonna order that one. Oh, oh, they, it's Eddie Guerrero. That that's. Black Tiger 2. Oh my god, I can mm. order that match and things like that. So for me, like like the aftermags, especially inside wrestling, were such a great resource of like just learning names. You know, just yeah, learning. yeah. Like pe- people people get the aftermags flack these days, but man, pre-internet, you know, pre-social media, like that, they were the deal. Like, like you're saying, inside wrestling, or when you turn to the back, and, and my favorite thing, WH, was to turn to the back and look at the top 10 rankings from all around the world. I love those stuff. And, I also, also in PWI, the centerfold. Love the centerfold. Yes. Yeah, like the aftermags were a, a very important part of being a wrestling fan back then because, yes, okay, it's, it's not hard-hitting journalism, but it didn't have to be because it was educating us about a sport and giving us, you know, pretty pictures of, of all these uh, wrestlers from all around the world. And, and so, yeah, man, you can't, you know, discredit the aftermath. you got to put some respect on Bill after his name. 
Hey, lots of love to Stu Sachs. You know what I'm saying? Great, great writer over <laughs> at uh, PWI and uh, the other After Vags. But let's talk about uh, the match that we're going to discuss today. Uh, Nate, wh- which Jushin Liger match did you pick for Thunderstruck? Yes, well, I think the listeners might already know. We've given them a lot of context clues, or they just read the description in their podcast player. <laughs> but uh, we let's go. We're going to go. All the way back. We're going all the way back to 1995. To the Mall of America in Minneapolis, Minnesota, WH. Because we're going to check out Jushin Liger versus Brian Pillman on the first edition of WCW Nitro. Yes, and it's the first match of this particular this The very episode. first match. So why did you pick this match? And let's give a bit of background between like the history of like Brian Pillman and Jushin Liger. Because this is not their first meeting. Yeah, and you know, for anybody that is a dedicated listener to Thunderstruck knows that you and Emily had previously talked about a Jushin Liger match with Brian Pillman. Yes, we, uh, Emily Pratt and I talked about Jushin Liger's match with uh, Brian Pillman. A re- an awesome match, by the way, yeah. from uh, Super Brawl Two. Uh, this this match takes a bit, you know, takes place uh, several years later. Um, you know, Brian Pillman has kind of changed. He doesn't wear the uh, the bang- the orange Bengals tiger stri- striped uh, <laughs> tights anymore, which is a shame. I love yes. that look of Brian Pillman, but you know he's gone through the Hollywood blondes phase of his career. He's he's just I think this is pre Four Horsemen with him and Benoit joining the Horsemen with Arn and and Flair. Uh, so he's kind of like, he's wearing like all these tassels on his tights. Yes, funny. a lot lot of tassels, a lot of fringes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the reason I chose this match, WH, is because I think that not only is this match significant in terms of wrestling history. Uh, being the first match on Monday Nitro. But I also think that it's significant to give a little credit to Eric Bischoff and WCW, which I know, like I did a whole show with Brian Mann called Keep It 2000, where we crapped on WCW management. But but when credit is earned, credit must be given, WH. And, and I think one of the things that Bischoff brought to the table was bringing in some of the guys from Mexico, bringing in some of the stars from Japan and giving you this, this menagerie, that's not even the word I want to use, this mosaic, that's a little bit better, of wrestlers from all around the world. And I, I love, like, when I first watched this match back in 95, I was already, like, I was already in for WCW. I was, you know, I grew up watching the NWA and Jim Crocker promotions, so I was already down for WCW. But when Nitro debuted WH, it was like, yeah, I have to be there. And so when the first match that comes on is Jushin Liger versus Brian Pillman instead of, you know, Hulk Hogan. Like, they easily could have opened the show with Hulk Hogan or Randy Savage or somebody like that, but they went with Pillman and Liger, and so that that really stuck with me. I think it's, you know, it's significant in the mindset of, like, one Eric Bischoff that he had this relationship uh, that he fostered with New Japan Pro Wrestling that existed before mm. him, like with, you know, under the tenure of people like Jim Hurd and, and Bill yeah. Watts before him. But he really took advantage of this as like, okay, I'm going to bring guys over here. And he would send people over to Japan, especially in the in the heyday of the NWO. He would send like Buff Bagwell and Scott Norton, and they would be integral members of NWO. How, how is that a fair trade? Buff Bagwell, Producer Thunder Liger. That's not a good deal, Eric. No, no, no. Listen, I will not have <laughs> slander of the amazing oh. tag team that was vicious and delicious. Uh, a tag team, I think, very underrated. If you watch their matches in Japan, they worked very well. Those two actually complemented each other very, very well. Like I would say Scott Norton was Buff Bagwell's like best partner since Two Cold Scorpio. Mm. 
which was a great tag team in of itself. Yeah, I, I, I did like Vicious and Delicious. I always thought Bagwell was a really, really good tag wrestler that was elevated past his level of talent as a singles guy. Well, in the ring, he wasn't a singles guy. He was much better as a tag wrestler. He should have stuck yes. with Norton. But, you know, like, I, I, character-wise, he fit a lot well, really well with Scott Steiner's Big Papa Pump character. But I felt just, like, he he accentuated, like, all the things that Scott Norton is not good at, uh, which is promos. And then, like, yes. Scott Norton <laughs> accentuated, like, you know, he was kind of his, his heat guy, right? So, like, they worked really well together. Watch, if you watch their matches, their tag matches in Japan, there's it's some really low-key, like, hidden gem stuff uh, happening mm. in that period. But, like, getting back to the, the main point is, like, that, that Bischoff recognized, okay, I got this, you know, access to all these guys, so I'm going to bring in Jushin Liger. Okay, I saw this match between Liger and... Another guy I have, Pillman, who's like a great wrestler. Let's 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 jumpstart this. And th- this is going. Is this the head-to-head time period with them against Raw? This one would have been. I don't know if this was the head-to-head or if this were when they had the hour advantage. This might have been when they had the hour advantage. When they started at, uh, they started a little bit earlier than than uh, Raw. Okay, so like, so they're they're just trying to get like that you know, get eyes on their product. And, and if I'm wrong, somebody will fact check me and I'll, I'll tell them to direct their, their fact checking to WH Park. Yeah, this, is his, just, this is his show. Just, just, <laughs> just at me. Don't bother this gentleman. Just at me. And I don't know. So you can like subsequently tweet me and say I'm wrong. And then I'm going to, then I'm just going to mute you and you can just scream into the ether and I'll be laughing at that. So it's okay. No problem. Nate. just direct it all towards me. I know how to deal with the, uh, quote unquote, uh, Twitter troglodytes as, uh, Mauro Ronaldo would say, uh, I love muting people. Side note, like I, lo- I, I never block anybody. Like unless you go to a certain level, like you really cross the boundaries with me on Twitter, I'm not gonna block. I'm not gonna uh, uh, block you. I'll just mute you because I'm trying. Like why? Why would I get rid of you and, and, and lower my follower numbers? That, that 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 hurts me. So I'm just gonna mute you, and you can rant and rave all you want, but I don't have to hear it, and my numbers stay up. So it's a win-win. I love the idea that these people are screaming into the void at me, and I don't, <laughs> and I'm not aware of it. I'm blissfully ignorant of it all. Like I like the idea that possibly, like someone like say mm, uh, T.K. Orion is like yelling at me, but I don't know because I <laughs> muted him because he's an idiot. So, anyways, I don't want to talk about this. We're these all these tangents. We're gonna we're gonna do a lot of tangents maybe on this show today, but yes. it's okay. It's, a, it's an entertaining discussion. But this this match uh, emanates from the Mall of America, the, the home of Hulk Hogan's pasta restaurant. Yeah, pasta mania, brother. <laughs> I wouldn't like. I saw these kids eating it. I'm just like, how much did you pay these kids? Like seriously, because that looks like utter shit. I would not eat that if I was like the last person on Earth and there was no more food left, like no more canned food on Earth. I would not eat this Hulk Hogan pasta shit. <laughs> WCW had bad luck with restaurants. First Pasta Mania, and then they had like the WCW Cafe that nobody went to. Was it as bad as WWE WWF New York? Oh, see, I never, I never went to WWF New York. I wish I would have just for the experience. But yeah, it, 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 I think WCW Cafe was basically Planet Hollywood, but instead of statues of Stallone or Schwarzenegger or Denzel. There were statues of Buff Bagwell and Alex Wright. <laughs> Buff Bagwell versus Denzel Washington. There's no contest. It's Denzel all the way, brother. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, Equalizer. First one's great. Second one's meh, you know. But anyways, uh, I want to say, like, uh, 
WWF New York, I went there one time when I was visiting Manhattan, and it was shit. No wonder it went out of business. It was a terrible <laughs> place to go. Like you're you, people, you all of you thinking, I wish I went there. You, you trust me, you're you're lucky mm. you didn't. You, you're just it's overpriced, really bad food, terrible service. But anyways, let's get to. <laughs> This match, we, we start off with uh, Jushin Liger coming in with, uh, as we talked before a bit, maybe off the air, like his generic Asian music, which is yes. just like chime, you know, the wind chimes, the flutes, uh, the uh, kind of like uh, what they thought was popular in Japan as far as popular music was with kind of the beats they were using. I was like, you know, like you got an agreement with New Japan. Just use his fucking theme, please. Yes. Or, or just like, and and this is maybe more of a complaint today than back then, because like I don't I don't know if like J pop or K pop was as popular then as it is now, but like if I were a wrestling company, like if I'm AEW, instead of having like generic songs for my Asian workers, I would like send B like look send BTS a check, like fellas, hook me up with a hot beat. Uh, you know, so I could play this this new act out, you know, instead of going the route of wind chimes and flutes, because, yeah, flute. How is that supposed to get me hyped up for this match? You coming out here with some flute music. Look, look at Io Shirai. She uses Poppy. That's great. You know, it's like, yes. it's not generic at all. It fits her character. Perfect. You don't draw attention. Oh, she's from Japan. Oh, like, OK, you like her. He's from Japan. Let's just use the same music we use for Kensuke Sasaki. Let's use the same music <laughs> we use for fucking Akira Hokotu. Like, no. Just, you know, it's like every and everyone comes out with fucking Sonny Ono. Why? Yes. Why? Why are they all coming? Oh, because he's Eric Bischoff's karate buddy, and he's yes. and Eric Bischoff is Mister Nepotism in professional wrestling in the 1990s. Hey, without Eric Bischoff, we don't get Sonny Ono. We don't get Ernest the Cat Miller. We don't. Listen, there's a lot of people that we I, don't. I get. will take Ernest Miller because low key, Ernest Miller was fucking awesome. Like that, those kicks he would do. That guy. Like, listen, <laughs> if you if they booked a Jerry Flynn versus Ernest the Cat Miller seven match series on Nitro, I would have watched the shit out of that. Let me tell you. <laughs> uh, see, that, that's what I'm saying. You got to take the good with the bad. For every Ernest Miller, there's a Sonny Yono, and that's that's life. Yeah, I mean, kudos to Sonny Ono. Got the uh, discrimination suit. Got got paid. Good for him. You know, yeah, Sonny got paid twice. He got paid from the original contract, then he hit hit him with the discrimination lawsuit. So Son Sonny did something right. Yeah, I, I'm all about like hitting like person companies with discrimination lawsuits because they're probably they're probably accurate to be quite honest with you. But yes, let's let's get to the match. We we start off with uh, both men trading arm lock twists. Uh, wait, 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 wait. Before we before we get to the match, okay. WH. Did, do you want to talk about uh, our, our commentary team? Because oh, I have issues. We'll, we'll get to them. Don't worry. They're in my notes. We'll get to them. Okay. Soon. No problem. <laughs> oh, we are going to go off on this commentary team. Believe you and me. Okay. So the match starts with both men trading uh, arm lock twists. Liger uh, shoots Pillman into the corner and hits a capo kick right in the head, right off in, like, mm. in the first you know five minutes of this match. And on commentary is one... Easy E, Eric Bischoff, Bobby the Brain Heenan, and Steve Mungo, <sighs> McMichael, who may or may not be one of the worst color commentators of all time, <laughs> Nate. What, what do you want to say about this commentary team? Oh, Mongo is terrible. Mongo is one of the worst. And, and I know, like, for everybody else, they probably hate hearing Mongo, but as a broadcaster, it grates on me even more hearing this dude call this match and like i think one of the first things out of mongo's mouth when liger's coming to the ring is like 
He's like, uh, well, let's hope this guy didn't bring a Ginsu knife over. And I'm like, Mongo, sir, please. Like, this, this is how we're starting off, sir. Listen, it's 1995, cancel culture, or I like to call it. I don't like the word cancel culture. Consequence culture is not mm. formed yet, right? So, like, yeah. I like that. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to steal that. Consequence culture. Yeah, I, I think that's way better. It's like cancel means, like, things are – there's a negative connotation to people being called out for the bullshit they do. It's No, it's like mm. they're facing – they're now facing the consequences of what they do. And, like, yeah, Mongo McMichael – like we'll get to him. Don't worry. I've got lots of notes about this this fool, but he's <laughs> he he is like typical. He it's not like he's not saying things that Bobby the Brain Heenan wouldn't be saying, right? He's, yeah. Not things like that fucking Jerry Lawler wouldn't be saying over on on Raw, you know? The Jim Cornette or, or I mean. <laughs> Jim Cornette or or even let's be honest, like Jim Ross, right? Like Jim Ross is yeah. guilty of saying like. You know, these gentlemen are from the Far East and the Orient. Just say it's fucking Japan, dude. Like, what the hell? <laughs> you know, he's saying it now in 2019. They're from the Orient. Oh, fuck. Please. They're Japanese. They're not all from one fucking region, Jim Ross. Yeah, yeah, just one one big region on the map. It's just one big block. The Orient. It's not doesn't say that on your your atlas. Let's anyways. <laughs> we'll, we'll get back to McMichael here. But back to the match. Uh, Pillman sends Liger back into the corner where he runs up the ropes and hits uh, Pillman with a moonsault body press. Just right off the bat, Liger knows he's only got a limited time frame. He's going to get all his shit in, Nate. Yep. Yeah, they, they worked at a really quick pace starting off. And the thing that I noticed, because uh, I did, I went back and watched this match as well as I watched the uh, match that uh, you guys talked about earlier from 92 with Liger and Pillman, just to kind of compare and contrast. And the one thing that I noticed, the crowd was into this from the beginning. Like, they were hot for all of this stuff early with Liger and Pillman. And so I think that just made the match, to me, come off so much better at the start. I think there's, like, you know, years of watching Brian Pillman and becoming familiar mm. with his character. And I believe he just he just turned babyface at this time. He broke up with Steve Austin previously. Yeah. So, there's you know, the, the, the fans are invested more more in uh, in Pillman than they are in Liger. But I think they probably, a lot of these, like, long-term fans, the adult fans in the audience are, are familiar with Liger because not only did he do the uh, the Super Brawl match with, with Pillman, but they teamed up together in the uh, NWA Tag Team Title Tournament. And, like, they fought guys like Nikita and Steamboat I and, and, like, a bunch of other people. And I, was, I loved their team in that tournament, mate. Yeah. Well, that was one of the things I thought about when I was watching this match, not just because they both had, like, the matching red in their outfits. Uh, but I thought, man, how great would it have been if they were able to work something out, may maybe on a more permanent basis, where Liger could have been in WCW more, and, and him and Pillman could have been a really great tag team at that time. Oh, definitely, definitely. These guys had so much amazing chemistry with one another. Uh, but back to back to the match, Like I, I have to make a note that our referee is Nick Patrick and his mullet. Just a beautiful thing of beauty, this <laughs> mullet, Nate. I mean, it, it wouldn't be an episode of WCW without referee Nick Patrick. So I was glad to see that he was here for this first match on Nitro. Uh, Pillman turns the tide of the match with a head scissors takedown. Uh, Pillman continues the assault with a knife edge chops to Liger in the corner. Uh, Pillman tries for a jumping Frankensteiner and completely mm. botches it. Fortunately for him... This is this match is not taking place in Philadelphia, so you're not going to get <laughs> the Philadelphia faithful chanting "You fucked up" on national television. Yeah, I I think my favorite part about that was Bobby the Brain, like trying to halfway cover, but not really. He's like, uh, "Yeah, he didn't get that move at all, Eric, but he he tried. He just didn't get enough." Yeah, that's it's fine. like okay. 
he he covered for it the best he could. That's fine. Uh, Liger drops Pillman with uh, a drop to hold and applies the Romero special to a big pop from the crowd. So this yes. this audience is like you're saying, Nate. They're familiar with uh, Liger and and they're into the stuff that he's doing. And to uh, Bischoff's credit, like Bischoff to me was the star of this commentary team in this match. Bischoff was putting over huge the the submission maneuver because he's like, you know, this is. One of uh, Jushin Liger's best moves. Nobody executes this submission better than Liger. So even if I'm a, if if I as a viewer am not educated on this, Eric Bischoff telling me yes, this is what this guy does. This is one of his uh, patented maneuvers. It makes me interested and it gets me like, oh, he could beat Brian Brian Pillman right now. So I thought there was a good job by uh, by Bischoff to kind of convey that to the tv audience as well that's really yeah good job i I, actually i have in my notes just a bit bit of history because this match is going to be going kind of short but i thought i'd tell people the history of the romero special it was a move Mm. invented by mexican wrestler rito romero and uh oh see i I, that's my bad because i thought it was invented by Cesar romero back in 1966 on the set of batman because, uh, you know, Burt Ward was getting into the craft services and Cesar Romero had to put a move on him to get him away from the food. So I I, I got bad information. That's my fault. Uh, it's OK. It's OK. A lot of people make that mistake. You know, Cesar Romero, the Joker with the the painted over mustache. It's it's, it's a it's, it's an easy <laughs> the, mistake. The, to make. Look, the, the greatest Joker. Don't at me. Uh, don't at me, Joaquin Phoenix fans, because I just put you on mute. Oh, like, listen, let's just go on a side about that movie. <laughs> like that that is a a good movie it's a great homage to martin scorsese's taxi driver and the yes. comedy that's what it is it's not a superhero movie it's, there's no superhero in this movie okay it's just it's it's a psychological you know study of a man descending into madness over the course of two hours and it's a great film great <laughs> great performance but that's not the joker the Joker yeah, is Joaquin, yeah, Joaquin Phoenix does yeah, Joaquin Phoenix does a hell of a job with it. Like I I'm not taking anything away from him. Like he did a great job in that film, and I thought the film was very well made. But yes, you're right. Like if I'm a DC comics fan looking for my Joker, that's not my Joker. No, nah, for me it's like you're saying, because I grew up with the Batman TV show, the Adam Westbert Ward show, and Cesar Romero is a big, big influence. Like Berg's Meredith, that's the penguin, great. But you know, for yes. me, for me, like I have to say Heath Ledger is the Oh uh, yeah, Heath Ledger was great. Jack Nicholson dancing to Prince music. That was great back in 89. And that doesn't age well. That Burt movie doesn't age well. I, I've, I've tried to watch it. And I'm like, this is shit. I don't know why people like this this Batman movie so much. It's, it's really, it's just a Tim Burton movie that has Batman characters in it. No, it's it's, Beetle, it's fucking Beetlejuice with pointy ears. That's that's what that Beetlejuice with pointy ears and Prince music. That's right, exactly. <laughs> that soundtrack is great, by the way. I'm a big fan of Prince. It's one of my favorite Prince albums. Up there with Purple Rain. You know, it's, it's an amazing mm. album. But anyways, uh, Liger's own innovation to this move invented by Rito Romero is uh, to transition into applying a dragon sleeper on his opponent while while they're in this move. And it's just so vicious looking. I First time I, I watched him do this, that the, the, the transition into the dragon sleeper i just i just popped i was like oh my god he's gonna kill him and i thought it was it was gonna be a finish but you know actually this move is actually one of his many transition moves made. <laughs> man like i i think it's funny because i don't know like i don't know who do we credit with these moves do we credit the the originator or do we credit the innovator because like, like, let's th- let's think of a move like uh, like the uh, Scorpion Deathlock or the Sharpshooter, if you will. Yeah, like Sting and Bret Sting and Bret Hart didn't come up with that move. No, 
no, I, I forget exactly who invented it, but it was a Japanese wrestler who invented yes, it. Yes, it was a Japanese dude, but but when you think about those moves, you think probably most people think Bret Hart, and then if you're from the South, you think Sting. And so it's like, yeah, these dudes are gonna get credit for kind of popularizing the move, but uh they they didn't do it. They didn't I, start you, you it. You know, here's the thing, like Sting would never take credit for inventing that move. No, I, Sting but, Sting's but a humble Hart, man. Yeah, but Bret Hart would. I've been to this move. <laughs> It's like it's like I, I don't get me wrong. I love Bret Hart. He's one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. But yes. some of the ludicrous things that come out of his mouth. I invented the the sharpshooter. Like uh, I don't know why you're telling some Japanese guy invented it. It's like it's like saying when like he did the uh, the you know Canada versus USA angle. He said there's no racism in Canada. Uh, excuse me. Mm. <laughs> uh, mm. I beg to differ, Bret, because like I'm not white and I grew up in Canada, so there is. Racism <laughs> in Canada. Like, he is right that we have great health care. That is that is a good point about Canada, but to say there's no racism in Canada, mm, no. Anyways, Rob Ford, Doug Ford, let's talk about them. Mm. But anyways, let's move on. Uh, but he doesn't <laughs> he doesn't do the Dragon Sleeper variation on on Pillman. No. And I write and I wrote in my notes it's probably because if he did that, it would probably melt the minds of the WCW faithful in this audience because they'd never seen a move that awesome before. <laughs> uh, that's another guy. Um, you, you know you. The stream of consciousness. You bring up the Dragon Sleeper. That's probably the third guy I would say that that kind of popularized, you know, Japanese wrestling to me was Ultimo. Yeah, Ultimo uh, Dragon, awesome. Yeah, because Ultimo was like so cool back in the day. Like you know, he seemed like the coolest dude in the universe until he got to the WWE. But that's a story for another day. <laughs> we, we will not talk about Ultimo Dragons. Uh... Tenure in the WWE where Stephanie McMahon wanted to uh, unmask him because she thought he was really cute. But anyways, um, <laughs> Pillman reverses a Tilt-A-Whirl backbreaker into another head scissors takedown. Uh, Pillman charges at Liger, who sends him over the top rope. Uh, good thing Bill Watts isn't in charge uh, anymore of WCW because that would have been a DQ. And he yes. follows up with a somersault plancha running off the ring apron. Just a beautiful move that's like, you know, kind of like uh, a hallmark in, in professional wrestling matches in, in this day and age. I think that's what I liked about this match, WH, is that, yes, you knew we were going to get some some high-flying spots. You knew we were going to get uh, some some technical wrestling on the mat. But I like that we went outside, and it wasn't, it wasn't gratuitous, you know, like a lot of matches today, where we'll just go outside and it's not part of the story. It's just, as Brian Mann would say, doing one of our Nitro 2000 reviews, it's just a lot of brawling around the ring. <laughs> that, was my, that was my Brian Mann impression. <laughs> Wonderful. Crawling around the ring. Around the ring. <laughs> uh, but uh but yeah, I liked it the times that we did go outside, it actually meant something and and furthered the match. Yeah, at this point, there's a wonderful jigonistic chant of USA breaking out because of course it does. It's nineteen ninety five in a American wrestling promotion. <laughs> to to be fair, you are in the mall of America, so I mean Pillman's got home field advantage. It's true, it's fair enough. You know what you know what? always boggled my mind when I'd be going to a show in Canada and the chant of USA would break out. I'm like, uh, no, we're kind of in the wrong country for that. What, what have you ever heard in your, in your long history of watching wrestling, Nate, have you ever heard the chant of Canada break out? I've never heard a can't a chant of Canada. I've never heard a chant of Mexico, uh, Japan. No, it's always only USA, only USA. And it would happen in like Toronto in Calgary, in Montreal, and I'd be just, like, scratching my head. But wait, you are all Canadians. Pretty much everyone in this I mean, audience is Canadian. Why are you chanting USA? 
To be fair, though, we do have the most chantable country name in America. You know, USA, three letters. It's it's easy. You can even somebody without rhythm can stay on beat. Whereas if you're a country like Canada, that's too many syllables. If you're a country with initials like you know the Soviet Union back in the day, you can't chant USSR. That's 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 not a good rhythm for a wrestling chant. So USA is like the perfect mix of of symbolism and nationalism and, and it's got a a chant that you can say on beat wh that's why it, it remains to this day i like the word jigganism because professional wrestling is if nothing else built on jigganism <laughs> oh, oh the, the, the foundation of this business is built on is built on stereotypes and caricatures definitely definitely but hey you know what <laughs> thanks to drake maybe shows in toronto we can chant 416 because that's the area code mm. and, and, and you know drake has made that popular but anyways let's move on back to the match uh Pillman suplexes Liger out of the ring to the floor. Pillman goes to the top turnbuckle and hits Liger with a diving body press, just showing off his own uh, amazing aerial repertoire. Liger blocks Pillman on the top rope and hits an avalanche superplex and gets a one, two. Oh, only a two. And now we're we're Mm. kind of building to the crescendo of the match here, Nate. Yeah, I really like kind of the the final third of this match because – it was both guys kind of going for these big moves, these these higher risk moves to try to put away the other guy. And Bischoff, again, to his credit, is telling the story about how these guys complement each other, how these guys know each other so well. And so I thought that part of the story worked. You know, it's, it, I wish there was a button on the WWE network where you could turn off certain commentary channels. Cause I would have just liked to hear Eric Bischoff and then maybe add Mike Tanay to this match. Cause that would have made it so much better. Oh, definitely. Mike Tanay would have like known everything, but he would, he would have got made fun of by like, you know, Bobby Heenan and, and like uh, Tony Schiavone. What's that? It's a dragging screw leg whip. Oh, oh what was that? Like, cause if you, you know, like they would make fun of, uh, you know, you know, Mike Tanay for knowing all these, the names of all these moves, uh, from here. Yes. You know, why is Mike Tanay? Why are you so dumb learning about things that could actually enhance your broadcast? Oh, you know who it was? It was, it was Heenan and Dusty Rhodes who would make fun of Mike Tanay, not Tony Schiavone. Tony Schiavone has some respect. I love Tony Schiavone. Like historically. Oh, Tony Schiavone, right yeah, I was gonna say Tony Schiavone might be the best announcer in wrestling today. Like, I love Tony Savani. It's him. It's him for, like, you know, Southern wrestling, like the NWA, like Jim Crocker Promotions. It's him and Bob Cottle that I fucking love as commentators because they add, like, this, like, mm. credibility to it. And and early Jim Ross, like, WCW Jim Ross is, is great. And early, you know, WWE, WWF Jim Ross is, is really good. I'm not such a big fan of Jim Ross these days. But anyways, we're... we're, we're Another tangent that we can get off. But uh, back to the match. Uh, let's see, where am I? Liger goes to the top and goes for a dive. But, you know, Pillman catches him with a beautiful midair drop kick. One of my favorite moves yes. of Pillman. And he goes and he goes for the one, two, oh, kick out. So now we're just getting to the, the false finishes. The, the, the heat is building up in this match. Liger hits a powerbomb. And I love Liger's powerbomb. But he only mm. gets a, a close two on Pillman with this move, Nate. And the crowd is so into it right now. Like the crowd is biting on all of these finishes. Uh, going back to the drop kick, like you said, that's one of Pillman's signature spots. You know, he doesn't quite have the the lift that he used to have in his younger days back in like the late 80s, but he still got it pretty good. And I loved it. Again, going back to the commentary, Bischoff's like, you know, for most guys, a drop kick is an offensive maneuver. But for Brian Pillman, he uses that as a defensive maneuver to take down his opponent. I'm like, you know what? That's actually some really sound broadcasting right there eric bischoff so again tip my cap to easy e but yes you're right man like the 
the way that they're kind of ramping things up to build to the finish has is, is been really good. Yeah, Liger hits another top row Frankensteiner for another two, close two count. Uh, Pillman follows up with a Tornado DDT for his own two count. And and here, Steve Mongo McMichael uh, makes an amazing analysis that Liger must have survived the DDT because he has padding in his mask. And Nate, I got to ask you, what was Michael, <laughs> McMichael worse at, being, being a wrestler or being a commentator? Being a commentator by far. Really? Because at least, I think at least as a wrestler – like he can throw a punch, he can body slam somebody. He can, <laughs> like he can muddle his way through a wrestling match. There was no muddling his way through this commentary, especially. And I know a lot of people love Bobby the Brain Heenan, and I do too. But I think Bobby the Brain Heenan was not the guy to have if you were going to have Mongo McMichael as well in the three man booth. Oh, like because the. Should have been like today. the the name calling and the, the you know Bobby the stain Bobby the hernia and then Bobby going back at Mongo to me it took away from the match. I think Bobby Heenan. I always get the feeling Bobby Heenan is not going to go too far because he he probably thinks that you know McMichael's probably like so like green at being in the business of professional wrestling that if Mike if Bobby the Brain Heenan said anything like really like going going off on him that Mike, McMichael would probably take it personally and try to go after him. Legit. Yeah. Like, I, I wish, like, if okay, so if you've got to have Mongo, here's because I think you can have one or the other. So if you've got to have Mongo, I don't think you can work with Bobby. So if, if Mongo was the guy, I would go Eric, Mongo, and Mike Tanay because Mike Tanay can counterbalance Mongo or, or even Tony Schiavone. Uh, but if you're going to keep Heenan, then I would have Eric, Heenan, and maybe, you know, again, Mike Tanay. Maybe this is just a backdoor pilot to try to work Mike Tanay in on these nitros that can't happen because they've already occurred 20 years ago. But still, uh, I think the only saving grace for me, WH, with Mongo McMichael, and I've never admitted this on a show before, so I'm giving you an exclusive here on Thunderstruck, brother. The only thing that I can say positively about Mongo McMichael is – all those years I spent watching Nitro growing up must have worked itself into my subconscious because even though I know the word is pronounced athlete, whenever I'm doing a broadcast, I pronounce it athlete, <laughs> like Mongo McMichael. <laughs> and I think that's all because of watching Mongo and these Nitro. So I guess I owe Mongo that for forgiving my, my broadcast a little style. Oh, well, hey, everyone, you heard it here first on Thunderstruck. The The origin of uh, Nate Milton pronouncing athlete is, comes from uh, Steve Mungo McMichael, the, the, the worst commentator slash wrestler in the in the history of professional wrestling. I, I, I'll be honest, I think he was worse as a wrestler because I have seen mm. the atrocities that he committed in that ring with like, <laughs> like being like, like what's the term? Like green as grass. This, this guy was like a double shade of like Brazilian rainforest green, you know, like the grass there, <laughs> like forget your fucking lawns in Florida. He was like as green as like the deepest, darkest parts of the Amazon rainforest. That's how bad he was as a professional wrestler. But anyways, let's go back to the match. Uh, Liger goes for a German suplex, but uh, Pillman shifts his weight forward, rolls through, and gets the one, two, three on Jishin Thun the Liger. Uh, mm. A flash pin in six minutes and 52 seconds, which, you know, my listeners might not, you know, might not believe that this match was only like seven minutes, essentially, due to the length of time that we've been talking, Nate. 
that that is crazy. Like we have we've literally talked about this match for about thirty minutes longer than the match occurred. So, <laughs> but here's the thing, man. I really love this finish. Um, I think they did something a bit similar in the uh, in the match uh, from '92, where it was kind of like Pillman outsmarting Liger, and then and then they did the respect angle afterwards. And so I felt like this was a bit of a callback. And, yeah, it, it just showed, man, they, these guys have such good chemistry. I wish they would have done more with these two, whether as a tag team or, or putting them in more matches in the early days of Nitro. But because of the historical context and because you're gonna, you got two great workers, I, I, I really enjoyed this. Even with Mongo McMichael on commentary, he was not enough to, to rain on my parade here at the Mall of America. Well, uh, we end the match, and we're going to end the match review with this gem from Steve Mongo McMichael. He says that if the fans didn't tune in to this match, they, they, didn't, you see, they didn't see a match worth watching. And I'm, what? That, the fuck? <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. This man is a certifiable moron. I, I will say that right now. And if Steve, Mc, mm. Steve McMichael, if you happen to be listening to this podcast, which I doubt, but if you do, I'm sure you're a nice fellow and everything, but you are a moron when it comes to professional wrestling commentating, okay? Like, if fans didn't tune in to see this match, then they didn't see a match worth watching. Like, of course they didn't, because they didn't fucking see it. That doesn't make any sense. Anyways, I <laughs> rant, rant over, but... I, I just think, Nate, like, imagine if this was a two-hour Nitro. Imagine if they, they launched with two hours and this match was, like, 15 minutes long and covered two segments. My God, how how great would mm. it have been? Well, first of all, getting back to, to your man Steve McMichaels here, I mean, we have to give him the benefit of the doubt because Mongo only pawn in Game of Life. I, I shout, out to every, shout out to everybody that watched Blazing Saddles and, and got that reference. <laughs> I have not seen Blazing Saddles in like maybe 25 years, Nate. But now oh, I'm I, I, I love Blazing Saddles. Yeah, I'm a big Mel Brooks fan too. Like I, Blazing Saddles is like you watch that movie, it's like wow. It's it is very uh, I don't know how challenging I think to a lot of it could not get made today. <laughs> no, it would never be made. Like I think most Mel Brooks movies wouldn't get made today. Like like yeah. uh, what is it? History of the World, which is a great film, by the way. That that would definitely yes. not get made today but uh yeah check it out Bleeding saddles an amazing amazing film but yeah this i, uh, I like this but I, I think getting to your point of this could be like longer it of course it could but i will give them credit given given what was going on with wcw at the time right you know this is we're smack dab in the midst of trying to compete with the wwf we're smack dab in the middle of hogan just running over everything and bringing in his cronies that added nothing or very little to the show. You know, people like uh, Earthquake and, and, and folks of that nature. And it's nothing against Earthquake as a man. I just didn't need to see him on my WCW TV as a fan back in the day. And so the fact that Eric Bischoff was able to carve out six or seven minutes of time on this show on TNT, on the Turner Network, to showcase a dude from New Japan that's not even really in the company and Brian Pillman, I thought that it was really cool for for that to be the first match of WCW uh, Nitro and for that to be, you know, where Eric Bischoff kind of put the focus to start the show. Excellent point. Yes, I, I have to agree with you. Like, they did the best they could with this like, yeah. these time constraints, and it's, it's still a very fun match to watch. I mean, we, had, we had to save time for Lex Luger to show up in a puffy Seinfeld shirt, baby. That's right. Lex Luger and his shirt. 
made their surprise appearance, made history, you know, jumping from oh. the WWF into WCW on the first edition of Nitro and, and Sting being very conflicted. Is my best friend. Look at that shirt. Why would I be friends yes. with this guy? You know, but yeah, I, <laughs> I, I actually quite enjoyed the, uh, the, the storyline of Sting and Lex Luger at this time in WCW. But, um, yeah, final thoughts on, on Liger's career. Like we're, we're going to wrap it up. What, what would you like to see maybe as his last match? I, I, I'm not sure if you follow New Japan too closely these days. You're very busy and stuff. But if you had a choice of like mm-hmm. Liger's last match, what would you like to see, Nate? I mean, I don't know how good of a match this would be, but I think, you know, something involving Liger and Muda, maybe in a tag would be kind of cool. Uh, just because, you know, I love both of those guys so much. Uh, you know, I got a lot of respect for Liger and Muda probably is the guy that, you know, got me interested in, in Japanese wrestling, at least to the level that I am. You know, I'm no by no means an expert, but I do uh, check out New Japan from time to time. I was I was big into uh, Joshi back in the day. Like I loved uh, Ayako Hamada and uh, uh, Ozaki. Uh, like I thought she was she was tremendous as a heel. Uh, and so I might not have seen these performers, right? Like I might not have ever gotten to the point where I'm watching Nakamura in New Japan or where I'm watching uh, Okada in New Japan or Ibushi if it weren't for people like Muda and of course people like Jushin Thunder Liger. So uh, I. I know, like just knowing kind of, and I think you alluded to it on on some of the previous shows, how smart this guy is, and how unselfish he is, and how he just wants to put on a good show. Like I think he'll have something great planned. Like I said, I'd love it to involve the great Muda. I'd love for Keiji Muto to to get uh to get uh some shine. Uh, maybe you know since we just did this show, maybe they can they can do a tag with Jushin Liger and. Uh, Brian Pillman's kid against Great Muda and Kota Ibushi. How about that bucket? Sure, that would be that would, that would be a, a, a very a veritable test of the uh, the awesomeness <laughs> of one Kota Ibushi if we had uh, you know those two participants <laughs> along with Liger in that match. But no, I I like the idea of like these kind of historical um, aspects of Liger's career, like Brian Pillman's son, Brian Pillman Jr., uh, and, and like the Great Muda. For me, I, 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 I like shout out. I like shout out to Brian Pillman Jr. Like I, I, I really like that guy. Like, and it's not just because of like I was a big fan of his dad, but it's like I know it's not e- the easiest thing in the world to be the son of somebody famous. You know, like we're seeing uh, Cody Rhodes had to find his own identity. Uh, you know, somebody like a Jungle Boy. You know, had to find his own identity in the entertainment world, and so I respect uh, Brian Pillman Jr. So, like, I think, yeah, it's not going to happen. But I, just for me, being the WCW mark that I am and the Brian Pillman mark that I am, I thought I think that'd be a neat little Easter egg. No, it would be. I think it, there's uh, there's some validity to what you're saying, as like from your perspective as a WCW fan. For me, I, I I'm hoping it's either Hiromu Takahashi or or uh, Will Ospreay in that match on the fifth, because I think mm. both those guys could just just have just an epic way to close out the the, the in ring career of Jushin. Okay, okay, so I'm, I'll meet you halfway. Okay, so we're gonna do Muda and Osprey versus. Brian Pillman Jr. and Jushin Liger, book it. We have spoken. Okay, as long as the 90% of the match 
is is uh, Osprey and Liger Liger the wrist. Yeah, and then and then you know, no offense to Brian Pimble Jr., but as long as he's still on the ring and 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 Muda is just doing missed spots constantly on the on the apron, that that's yes. fine with me. But but Nate, I really want to thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to do Thunderstruck with me. I had an awesome time. I'm hoping we can do something again in the future, uh, maybe on a, a future series that I'm going to be uh, doing for post wrestling. It's a secret secret mm. series. I, I just got it approved, and it's, it's going to debut sometime in 2020. But I'd like to have you on that in the future as well. But where can people find more of Nate Milton? Well, uh, I will respectfully decline your invitation to uh, Buff Talk because uh, I've had enough Buff Bagwell discussions for one day, WH. So if you want to do a Buff Bagwell podcast, I have more power to you. I just won't be all involved with that, brother. Okay, I'll get your uh, former uh, co-host, uh, Brian Mann. On, yeah. On oh, Brian, yeah, Brian Mann would be, uh, would be down for some Buff Talk. <laughs> and uh, uh, Big Papa Pump. The podcast we're gonna maybe do that in the future here at postwrestling.com as well but uh where, where can people find nate milton uh you can find me on twitter if i haven't muted you or even if i have muted you you can still find me on twitter at in the number eight m-o-z-a-i-k at nate mosaic of course i've got the kings of sport podcast with myself and marcus vanderberg from yahoo sports we've been doing that for about six years now and we have a patreon so you can check that out at patreon.com backslash the kings of sport Sign up today and get access to bonus shows, get access to video versions of the podcast, MCU reviews sometimes, political shows. There's a lot of stuff on the Kings of Sport Patreon, including the NWA podcast, the Nubian Wrestling Advocates, featuring myself and Chris from L.A. And yes, WH, I know we've we've got uh, some time differences to sync up, but uh, you have an open invitation to come on the show because despite the name, despite the title, uh, it is not just for Nubian fans and, and Nubian voices to speak about their thoughts on the world of professional wrestling. We want to bring everybody into the tent. Our Latino brothers, like I said, our Asian brothers and sisters, LGTBQ community. You know, we just want everybody to get on here and talk about this thing that we all love, this crazy business of professional wrestling. So you have an invitation to that as well, my friend. And finally, the greatest show in the world, not named uh, Buff Talk, because you know I'll let you, I'll let you have your lane, WH. I'm not I'm not one to I'm not one to put down. I'm not one to hold anybody down. I'm not Hulk Hogan in WCW. I want I want you to get your shine too, brother. So you can too you can do your Buff Bagwell podcast. But the greatest podcast available in the world today, of course, is the Rocky Maya via Picture Show, where each week or each month. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't have the time or the stamina to do a rock movie every week. But each month, me and a special guest run down the filmography of Dwayne the Rock Johnson. And I think, uh, you know, those of you that uh, are, are fans of the Rock, you'll love the you'll love the show. Even if you don't like the Rock and you, you don't like his movies, you'll have a good time with the show because we have uh, a lot of different guests. John Pollock's been on the show. Brian Mann's been on the show. Uh, you know, a lot of different people. Andrew Thompson has been on the show. So, yeah, if you're a fan of post-wrestling, if you're a fan of Dwayne The Rock Johnson, and if you're a fan of hearing this uh, this voice coming to you right now through, through your headphones or through your speakers, then uh, you'll love the Rocky Mountain Picture Show available right here on post-wrestling. That show's never going to end, by the way, because The Rock's just going to be making yeah. movies forever. Yeah, well, the thing is, like, if, if Rock stopped making movies today, I would still be doing this show until 2023. So, yeah, I, that's job security right there. I, I went to John Away, said I want to do a rock podcast about all his movies, but I'm only going to do it once a month because that way I'll never be out of a job here at Post Wrestling. So, 
So if if you stopped right now, if Rock stopped making movies right now, so the last movie you would do would be uh, the Hobbs and Shaw movie. Let's say let's say yeah, the Hobbs and Shaw, or Jumanji Part Two, whatever whatever the last movie is. All right. Yeah. If if that was it, it would take us until or it would take me and and whoever the guests were until 2023 to complete the filmography of The Rock. And that, here's the thing, WH, that's not even counting every movie role he's been in. We're like, we're only doing like his starring roles or a role or movies where he's a big part of the cast. So like movies like Reno 911 where he has a quick cameo, we haven't even done that yet. So I could do another five, 10 episodes just on cameos, man. I mean, like, you could do like his appearances on uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, or was it Voyager? Yep. I, I, Space, it was Voyager. It was, Voyager, it was right? Star Trek Voyager, uh, where he wrestled Seven of Nine. Uh, we could talk about that 70s show where he played his dad. We could talk about uh, Saturday Night Live, which he hosted. So yeah, there's, there's, I'm never going to run out of material for the, for this show. By the way, just as a and as a side, do you know the the name in Japan of Hobbs and Shaw? Like what they call it here? No. So like the Fast and Furious franchise is called Wild Speed. And then they just give it some, like, mm. like different titles, like uh, it's Wild Speed Euro Mission, Wild Speed Sky Mission, like the one where they just, <laughs> like drop the cars out of the fucking plane. That's called Sky Mission. The last movie was called Ice Break because of the fucking submarine wow. coming out of the the you know the Antarctic, wherever the hell that the last scene. It sound like Call of Duty expansion packs. It do. It's 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 great. I love it. But so this the spinoff movie is called Wild Speed Presents Super Combo. Sounds like like you know they're they're, they're putting like the rocks out uh, the the hamburger and like Jason Statham's the the, the you know the side the, the side order of fries or something like that. Oh, super combo! Yes, that I'm surprised some restaurant hadn't hadn't hooked up a deal with that. You know, I have a, I have like you know like uh, you know a wish uh, a a dream guest list guest for that for that particular episode. I want you to get if you can if you can work this out. Get Benno from the British Wrestling Experience because mm. he is a big Fast and Furious fan, and and I've heard his thoughts about this movie. But I would love to hear you and him do an episode of the Rocket Me My Via Picture Show. Maybe talk about one of the you know uh, Dwayne Johnson's appearances in in one of the Fast and Furious movies because I think that would be a really great episode to hear you and and Nate you and uh, you and Benno do a show together, Nate. Oh man, these like. These Fast and Furious movies, I've, I'm just, I just want them to be, become bigger and bigger on the Rocky Mountain Via Picture Show. So, like, you know, we 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 we've done the first Rock movie, uh, or it should be out around the time you're listening to this, folks. If not, you know, things happen in life, uh, as Vince McMahon would say, cause subject to change. But uh, what I want to do is like start small, and then with each subsequent Fast and the Furious movie I review, just add more people to the podcast so that way by the time we get to like fast and furious eight i have like eight people on a show and we can all drink coronas and talk about family <laughs> oh god you know what I, i'm gonna say this before we, we end this episode is that i i think the inclusion of the rock luke hobbs character to the fast and furious franchise saved that franchise mm. for me because i hate every other character on that fucking series i i hate really i hate dominic toretto this guy wow is so obnoxious i hate you hate paul walker i hate i mean not paul walker but uh brian o'connor I, I hate brian o'connor i hate letty you know the only person i like in that i hate Ro roman is the worst i hate that guy the most but wow. my favorite is uh who does what's the name of Ludacris's character because uh tez. tez tez is awesome i love tez i liked han obviously i was gonna say man i love like i love han man han was cool han was cool. Like killed him but like I, 
for me, Vin Diesel, like, he's just so obnoxious. <laughs> As Dominic Toretto is just such an unlikable character. Family. And then he, how can this guy beat up people who trained in special forces? It makes no sense. It doesn't make any sense to me. Anyway. I, I love, see, well, the thing is, like, when The Rock came in, you're right. Like, The Rock coming back was one of the big things that changed the franchise. The other thing was, they were like, screw it. We're just going to become street-level Avengers now. And, like, they don't have superpowers, but all of these people are indestructible and can get thrown from helicopters and land on the hood of a car and walk away. Like, so I love how ridiculous these movies have gotten, and they just keep adding people and adding people. Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, like the Justin Lin directed ones are really high quality, like action movies. I, I didn't really like. Oh, maybe maybe that's Liger's next move. Maybe he'll join the Fast and Furious crew. That's right. As, as Super <laughs> Liger. Like, you know, Fast Liger, that'll be his. And he'll drive a car that looks like his bodysuit. That would be amazing. It'll be like a, like a 1986 uh, Toyota Supra or something with, like, super wings, and they're all shaped in... Has he done, a, uh, has he done like, a lot of any, any movies or TVs in Japan? Like, I know, like, a lot of the uh, luchadors, you know, they kind of cross over to mainstream entertainment down in Mexico. Has Liger done any of that type of stuff in Japan? Not really. He's not... He's not like someone who would have the time to film something. I think he's done maybe one movie. I, I can't remember. Mm. Just because it wasn't anything noteworthy. It's not like the Santa movies or anything like that. So, yeah. but like, yeah, <laughs> Jason Liger in a Fast and Furious movie. Okay. Wild Speed. That would be amazing. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah, I think that would, that would really work. But <laughs> thank you, Nate. Thank you so much for doing this. I, I would love to appear on uh, the, the, the NWA show that you do, not not the one that Dave Lagana uh, doesn't uh, keep an eye on and uh, the, the terrible commentary <laughs> on that. But I would love to appear on the Nubian Wrestling uh, was Nubian Wrestling Advocates. Advocates. Yes. Okay. Like I like I like that word better than say Alliance or Associates. <laughs> so yeah. So yeah, Alliance would would make it feel like uh, like we're the nation of domination. Like no, that's that's not what we're doing here. <laughs> It's awesome. I would love we to hear advocates. Yeah, I would love to hear that. Though. Like, I, if people follow me on 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 Twitter and stuff, I'm I'm very much like you know an advocate of like representation and like looking at yes, because as, as bad and I think I told Way this when uh, I was on a cafe hangout during the run up to Kofi Mania, and I was like as terrible as modern wrestling in particular WWE has been with portrayals of black wrestlers like when you look at the way asian wrestlers have been portrayed over the years like there's a lot to unpack there oh it's still happening to this day <laughs> yes <laughs> to this day, but anyways but thank thank we, we should wrap this up uh thank you so much for appearing on uh thunderstruck we're gonna i'm gonna thank also the listeners for for listening to the series up to this point as well a lot of great feedback from everyone and until the next episode i will tell you to everyone goodbye <laughs>